If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Luke chapter 9, because if you're regularly here, you'll know we're going through Luke. Now, somebody apparently commented that we always do the same stories. Well, we might do. I did think I'd avoided that in this uh, series, but today we will be talking about something that's very familiar to you. So, Luke chapter 9. Um, okay, here's a question. Don't, don't answer this for fear of incriminating yourself. Don't just think about it. When you go on holiday, how long does it take you to pack before you go? Now, I, I guess that part of the answer to that depends on what kind of holiday you're going on, doesn't it? So, are there lots of things you need to pack? Lots of gear or a tent or all sorts of extra things to make the holiday work? I, I guess it partly depends too on your personality, doesn't it? And somebody in the first service shouted out, spreadsheet! I mean, that's too much information, isn't it, right? Unless you're a just-in-case kind of person, right? Where, where, where you probably plan it for weeks and months ahead because you need to think of all the possible eventualities and pack for them. Or, or if you're a bit more like me, you're a, you're a just-in-time kind of packer and you throw everything in at the last minute, hoping desperately that you've got enough and whatever is there will do, and you haven't forgotten anything really important. Um, and uh, I, it was interesting looking around the first service. You know, people start to talk to each other at this point. Differences in families, aren't there? Yeah, tensions and all that. I guess the same could be said of a business trip or a visit to family or, or of any other kind of trip really that you may go on. And the thing is this, that you have to pack and get ready for your trip because there are things that you know you will need to take with you, right? They did that in the first service. Are you awake? <laughs> right, so there are things you will need to pack, right, when you go on holiday? Yes, yes Ian, we're awake. Well, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends his 12 disciples on a mission trip, but tells them to take nothing with them. They are told to take no provision, no stick, no bag, no money, no clothes, besides the ones they are wearing. Now, let's be honest for a moment. That would be a bit of a challenge, wouldn't it? Especially if you're a just-in-case kind of person. Why would you go on a mission trip and take nothing with you? Well, perhaps because it is Jesus who sends you. Well, perhaps because you know that you are sharing in the things that Jesus himself is doing. Well, perhaps because they knew they were participating in the ministry of the kingdom of the heavens. Perhaps because this is an invitation to do what Jesus does in proclaiming freedom and release in both words and actions to those who are poor and oppressed. Perhaps because the truth about the kingdom of the heavens is for everyone. Perhaps because Jesus is challenging the fledgling faith of his disciples because by taking nothing with them, they will be wholly reliant upon God. And in some ways, it seems, Jesus invites them to do the impossible. Go on a mission trip and take nothing with you. Is it possible, do you suppose, that Jesus asks the impossible of his disciples today? 
Is it possible, do you suppose, that in the work and the ministry of the kingdom of the heavens, that we are invited to share in, in what God is doing, and that we too are invited to be totally reliant upon God's provision? Is it possible, do you suppose, that God still wants to proclaim freedom and release to the poor and the oppressed, to everyone? So the twelve disciples go on a mission trip, and then this happens. Luke chapter 9, beginning to read verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took, with, took him, them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the heavens, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About five thousand men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, we are not told any details of the mission trip, but we are told that Jesus wants to withdraw and rest. But that's not... What happens? The crowds find out where they are and they went to find Jesus. We are told that Jesus welcomes them. This is really, really important. We're going to come back to it. But for now, there's a, there's a challenge here, a real challenge. After being very busy and wanting to withdraw, Jesus welcomes the people. So how are you doing at welcome? How did you do when you got here today? Between services, at welcoming the people. How do you, how do, you do it when you're tired and you just want to go home after this service here's a question to ponder for a moment why did Jesus welcome the crowd when he and his disciples were obviously tired and looking to take a break Jesus then begins to teach about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens and demonstrate the kingdom of the heavens. That's the doing. The disciples want to send the people away at the end of the day because there is no food for them. And Jesus stuns them with his reply. You give them something to eat. Now I would have loved to see the faces of the twelve disciples when Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Luke records that there are 5,000 men present in the crowd. 
Add in the women and children, and you may have a crowd of between ten to 15,000 at a guess. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Why on earth would Jesus say to his disciples, you give them something to eat, when he knows full well they have nothing? He knows they have no food, because he just finished a mission trip with them, on which he told them to take nothing with them. Jesus tells them to take nothing, no provisions, no bread. And yet now he tells them to feed a crowd of maybe 15,000 people with nothing. So what do you suppose is going on? Well, maybe Jesus is beginning to show the 12 disciples how it is in the kingdom of the heavens. Jesus, it seems, is inviting the 12 disciples to join in, to participate in the work that he himself is doing. He's inviting them to do the work of the kingdom of the heavens. He's just sent them on a mission trip with nothing, where they were totally dependent upon God. He sent them on a mission trip with nothing, and now he asks them to do what seems to be impossible and feed the crowd with nothing. Is there something here about being reliant again on God's provision? Now you probably remember this story from John's Gospel, because we all know that there's a little boy who comes up and says, I've got five loaves and two fish. Luke doesn't tell us that, he just says, they have five loaves and two fish. Wherever they come from, they find a tiny amount of food. The disciples suggest that they could send the crowd away and go and buy food, although they know they can't do that either because they haven't got any money because they were told not to take any money. So they haven't got any money. So why would they suggest that? Well, I'm wondering if really they're trying to get Jesus still to send the crowd away so they don't have to face the challenge of what Jesus is asking them to do. And I'm wondering if ever you've done anything like that. I'm wondering if we ever do stuff where we try to avoid what we think God might be asking us to do because we can't see how it might be done or we don't think we have enough to offer. I wonder how many times and how many of us think we can't be useful to God because we don't have enough to offer. Or maybe we even think we have nothing to offer. I wonder how many of us think that there are things we cannot do for God because what we have or what we can do is simply not enough. It might go something like this. Oh, I'm not clever enough to do that. Oh, I'm not skilled enough to help with that. Oh, I'm too shy or too old or too young. I don't fit in enough with those people. I wouldn't know what to say. And yet, knowing full well they only have five loaves and two fish, Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Jesus, it seems, has a different way of seeing things. 
Jesus, it seems, can see what the disciples cannot see. Now, now Jesus doesn't leave them hanging, but he invites them to do what he invites us to do. He gets the disciples to sit the crowd down in groups of 50, which they do. And then he has the disciples give the bread to him. And it's when the disciples, struggling as they probably still are with what Jesus has invited them to do, when they give what they have to Jesus, that the miracle takes place. Now I tried this talk out on Sunday night over at Greenfields, and before I'd even given this talk, Alan shared this testimony, so I asked him to share it again this morning. I guess most of us, at some time or other, have used the phrase, or had the phrase said to us, that will teach you a lesson. Well, God has been teaching me a lesson over the past six months or so. It's two years since I started active involvement in overseas development work for CED, and have just returned from my second visit to Sierra Leone, where we were faced with many technical and financial challenges as to how to provide a potable water supply to a remote village community. Over these last two years, I've also been working on a project for a refugee community in Mayanji, in Rwanda. The scope and the basic design had been finalised a year ago, but despite a huge effort on my part in filling in many pages of aid application forms to the UK government, the funds were still not available. In October last year, I was asked to address the congregation of Biumba Cathedral in the north of Rwanda and was led to speak on the story of Gideon, where God teaches Gideon not to rely on his own strength or that of his army, but to go about the task facing him in God's way. In this case, it meant using 300 men with torches and trumpets rather than 32,000 men armed to the teeth. At the time, I thought I was addressing the Biumba congregation and asking them to be patient and wait on God to provide the resources they needed so badly. But God was about to teach me a lesson too. At the start of this year, I was getting frustrated about the lack of funds to start the Mayanji project particularly after all my own efforts. DFID, that's the government department, are still deferring a response that was supposed to be made last December about aid. How could I possibly move forward with this project? But then, perhaps when I was feeling most anxious, three different sources of funding, totally unrelated to the DFID application, have materialised over the past six weeks, which together will enable the Mayanji project to start in the coming months. And on the 16th of March, I will be going back to Rwanda to set the wheels in motion for that project. God is teaching me that whilst I should not expect to sit back and wait for God to act, I should, through prayer, be seeking more of his ways 
and trusting more in him in all I seek to do in his name. When we give what we have to God, God can do surprising things. I would, I would love to have seen the disciples as they walked through the crowd distributing the bread. Wouldn't you have loved to see that? But we only have five loaves and two fish. Perhaps the party in the park reminds us of other times when God has provided for his people. Maybe it reminds us of how you provided for them for those 40 long years in the wilderness. We celebrate a meal, don't we, with the breaking of the bread because later in the story in Luke and the other Gospels, Jesus does it again around a table and invites us to do the same. That meal, the Last Supper, is a meal where Jesus said his body will be broken like the bread. The bread was broken when he had a party in the park and when that bread was broken, it fed all of them, all 15,000 of them. When Jesus' body was broken by his death on the cross, it was broken for everyone, absolutely everyone. And when we celebrate communion, as we call it, we remember that this is a meal to which everyone is invited. So why did Jesus not send the crowd away to find their own food? Well, here's what I think. He wanted to show that crowd, that everyone is welcome in the kingdom of the heavens and that by feeding them with enough bread, the kingdom of the heavens is enough for everyone. Jesus came to show the truth of the kingdom of the heavens, that is that God welcomes everyone and that his provision is enough for everyone. What I find staggering is that at the party in the park, Jesus invited his disciples to participate with him in demonstrating the work of the kingdom of the heavens. As Alan said, you don't do nothing. Jesus didn't get them to do nothing. He broke the bread, but then he gave them the bread, which they then gave to the crowd. They didn't do nothing, but they were invited to participate in the demonstration of the work of the kingdom of the heavens. Or to say it another way, When Jesus broke bread at the party in the park, he did it as the host of a meal would have done it, and everyone present would have known that. When the host broke bread and gave it to his guests, he was saying that at this meal, everyone is welcome as a friend. Everyone present on that hillside that day would have known that. That when Jesus broke the bread, he was acting as the host of a meal and the host was saying, you are welcome here today and you are welcome as my friends. When Jesus breaks bread and distributes it to the crowd, he is telling them they are welcome as his friends. He is telling them that just as they are, and remember, this is the crowd who followed him, not the important people like the Pharisees. This is the crowd that followed him. He is telling them that they are welcome just as they are, regardless of their status. But they are welcome as his friends. Or, to say it another way, 
Jesus has extended an invitation to those on the outside to come in. And he is saying that if they come in, their world will be turned upside down because they will be welcomed by Jesus himself as a friend. Friends, we are called to do what Jesus himself was doing, are we not? We are called to extend a welcome because, quite simply, everyone is welcome in the kingdom of the heavens. The way we do that, of course, is going to be different for each of us, isn't it? We'll all have our own ministries. Some of us have already signed up and are already involved in Alpha. And some of you, after this service, are going to remember that you haven't yet signed up to help with the catering, so you'll put your name down. And you'll be involved in that way. Some of you will sign up to pray, or to be here to pray, or to pray wherever you happen to be for an hour a week. Some people might be involved in One Voice Community Choir, and every other week they're going to stand by people in the community and they're going to sing their heart out, and when they're not supposed to be talking, because they're supposed to be listening to Richard or Marion, they're going to be talking about things that are going on in the week, and they're going to get to know each other, and then one day you're going to talk about the kingdom of the heavens, because that's why you're here. Or you might be involved in Kids Matter when it gets going. You might be involved in the work of the Easter team, feeding and helping the unprivileged and the homeless of this town. You might be involved in the Lighthouse Project, which goes into schools. You might be praying for the Lighthouse Project as they go into schools. You might be involved in CAP, Christians Against Poverty, who are going to speak tonight. If you want to know what's going on, come and listen. You might be involved in speaking to your friends. You might be involved like I was hanging out of the window of your house to little Oliver across the road. He's about eight years old. He comes to pod, shouting to him, Oliver, Oliver, Lisa's up the road. Get a snowball and get her with it. Or you might be involved in speaking to your neighbours or to your family. You might be involved in caring for others. You might be working in the city. You might be involved in volunteering with, Christ, uh, with children's and youth ministry. But however we do it and wherever we do it, we give what we have to God And then we follow him. And this party in the park reminds us, and as Alan has reminded us, that when we give to God what we have, God can use it in surprising ways. Now here's a little bit of the story that I really, really love. At the end of the party in the park... Jesus tells the disciples to collect up the leftovers. Remember, they had nothing to begin with. Now they've got to go around and collect up the leftovers. And at the end of the party, the disciples go and collect up the leftovers, and they they get 12 basketfuls of leftovers. You know where this is going, don't you? Now these baskets, I understand, would have been about enough for one person's amount of bread to carry. They're not massive, they're little baskets that you could carry for yourself. These 12 disciples, who when Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat, have nothing, because Jesus told them to take nothing with them, now have fed a crowd of 15,000 maybe. They now have one basket each of bread, which is enough for themselves. I thought you might cheer or something at that point. See, because in feeding the crowd, Jesus has not forgotten about his disciples, but he provides for them perfectly. 
You know, one day I'm going to get alongside one of these disciples in heaven, if indeed I recognize them. Do you know that would be really great? This is a complete tangent. If one of them came up to me and said, do you know that sermon you once preached in Crawley Baptist? That was great. We were really cheering you on, mate. And I'll be going, oh, cheers, guys. And then I'll say, here's something I want to ask you. What was it like that day when you started with nothing and then you, it suddenly dawned on you that you each have a basket of bread? Oh, that would have been fantastic, don't you think? Is it possible, friends, that God will do the same for you? Do you suppose? Perhaps as we follow God, we simply need the courage to give to him what little we have so that he can do his bigger and better work. I love this story. You've heard it before. The cheerful girl with bouncy golden curls was almost five. With her mother at the checkout stand, she saw them. A circle of glistening white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, please, mummy, can I have them? Please, mummy, please. Quickly, the mother checked the back of the little foil box and then looked back into the pleading blue eyes of her little girl's upturned face. One pound ninety-five. That's almost two pounds. If you really want them, I'll think of some extra chores for you, and in no time you can save enough money and buy them for yourself. Your birthday's only a week away, and you might get another pound coin from Grandma. As soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bag and counted out 17 pennies. After dinner, she did more of her share of the chores and went to her neighbour and asked Mrs McJames if she could pick dandelions for 10p. On her birthday, Grandma did indeed give her another pound coin, And at last she had enough money to buy the necklace. Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel dressed up and grown up. She wore them everywhere, Sunday school, preschool, even to bed. The only time she took them off was when she went swimming or had a bubble bath because mum said if they got wet they might turn her neck green. Jenny had a very loving dad and every night when she was ready for bed he would stop whatever he was doing and come upstairs to read her a story. One night, when he finished the story, he asked Jenny, Do you love me? Oh yes, Daddy, you know that I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls. But you can have Princess, the white horse from my collection, the one with the pink tail. Remember, Daddy, the one you gave me, she's my favourite. That's okay, honey, Daddy loves you, good night. And he brushed her cheek with a kiss. About a week later, after story time, Jenny's dad asked again, Do you love me? Daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, but you can have my baby doll, the brand new one I got for my birthday. She's so beautiful, and you can have the yellow blanket that matches her sleeper. That's okay, sleep well. God bless, little one. Daddy loves you. And as always, he brushed her cheek with a gentle kiss. A few nights later, when Daddy came in, Jenny was sitting on her bed with her legs crossed, Indian style. As he came close, he noticed her chin was trembling and one silent tear rolled down her cheek. What is it, Jenny? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say anything, but lifted her little hand to her dad. When she opened it, there was her little pearl necklace. With a little quiver, she finally said, Here, Daddy, it's for you. 
With tears gathering in his own eyes, Jenny's kind dad reached out with one hand to take the cheap necklace. And with the other hand, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls and gave them to Jenny. He'd had them all the time. He was just waiting for her to give up what she had so he could give her genuine treasure. Friends, let us have the courage to give to God what little we have and leave him to do the miracle, the miracle that welcomes everyone into the kingdom of the heavens. Amen.